0: Today's message continues in the Salt and Light series This one's called Vertical Hope We're going vertical with daily hope And I want to show you the scriptures That's where we're going So I asked you last week to bring your Bibles Because there's a lot happening in our world today We're going to talk about some of it today And I just want you to know where we're going so that it's not a shock to you when we get there. And today may be a tougher one for some of us, but here we go. Okay, let's start with this. When you experience things, any daily work-it-out things, do you view it through the horizontal lens of me? Or do you view it through the vertical lens of God? Things like paying your bills, home repairs, your boss tells you you did a good job, or that annoying coworker, or even what are we having for dinner. When you experience things, whatever they are, just things, in your daily work it out, do you view it through the horizontal, horizontal lens of earthly, or do you view it through the vertical lens of heavenly? Vertical versus horizontal. That lens will help determine our daily hope as well as if we can really be daily salt and light. This series, I've had a few questions. It's been based on a few questions. One is, what is really salt and light in a world where deception and delusional people are everywhere and feels like epidemic in nature, like the whole world has gone mad? For those of you who may not know, salt and light in the Bible is what Jesus said his followers need to be. We need to be salt in this culture. We need to be light in this culture. What culture are you talking about? The culture you find yourself in. So how can true hope be grasped and held onto in a world that's gone mad? That's what today's message is about going vertical with hope daily. Some explaining is necessary to get us there. And of course, I want to remind you that the number one salt and light killer, the number one salt and light killer is false teachings and false Christ. Salt and light requires discernment. Without it, you cannot be it. I'm talking about discernment that's in harmony from and with and alongside other soundly saved believers not the lip service from the deceived, follow? Remember the question that umbrellas this entire teaching series? The last two weeks, I asked a question and I'm gonna ask it again. I want you to ponder throughout the next few weeks, do you think you can spot false teachings and false Christ? And if so, from what, from where, do you derive your discernment? There's only one correct answer by the way, and it is the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible in its completeness. The Word is our final authority. Yes, that's fine, but also in its sufficiency. The Bible is completely sufficient for all things in our walk with Christ, our salvation and our sanctification. For those of you who may not know, sanctification is once you are saved, once you are justified, once you are redeemed, now you start growing out your faith, you start walking out your faith, Christ continues to build you in what's called the sanctification process. So if we're gonna continue our pursuit of salt and light and having a vertical hope in our daily walk, by understanding that the hope we need in these days, we need to get a better understanding of that hope that we actually need. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that it springs out of a certain something. You know what that is? It springs out of our desire to share our faith and see the deceived redeemed at the foot of the cross. The cross. It's not gonna be on the screen, but I just wanna take a quick look. You can jot this down and read it for yourself later. Many of you know the story already. I'm gonna paraphrase it for you. A quick look at the rich man Jesus spoke of in Luke 16. In Luke 16 verses 19 through 31, it says he was dressed, the rich man was dressed in purple and fine linen and living in luxury and wasn't concerned about a poor man named Lazarus who was starving at his gate, wouldn't even throw him a few crumbs. Then the Bible says he died and went to hell. And the scriptures basically say it's because he didn't feed Lazarus. Now, obviously, this is not a different type of salvation that says you go to heaven by feeding the poor. That would be works. We know that we are saved by grace and grace alone. So with simple discernment here, you can know that there has to be a hidden meaning. Jesus told this story for a deeper meaning. What is it? Ray Comfort says it so well. See, the rich man was clothed in purple, fine linens, fed incredibly well, it's a type of the false church, which you hear me call the visible church. Also add to it, the rich man could and should and probably would symbolize what is true within the authentic church. And that is, seemingly, there's plenty of false converts who have swallowed a fake righteousness and they sit right next to the redeemed saints of God. In the Bible, Jesus calls these deceived fakers, he calls them foolish bridesmaids among the wise. He calls them goats among the sheep, bad fish in the net with the good fish, tares and weeds among the wheat that will be sorted out on the day of judgment. That's what your Bible says. See, these people, they feast themselves on the blessings, prosperity, and promises of God wrap things up in a show of prayer and praise with little to no concern for hell-bound sinners. These are those who flat out live for themselves rather than for the will of God. They ignore the command of Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke six forty-six, not gonna be on the screen, says this, it says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things in which I say? Another translation, another way to say it for what I'm trying to share regarding the fakers out there is that in the obvious lack of concern for lost sinners is this. This is what they kind of say. They, look, they say this with their actions. Basically, the world can go to hell. I couldn't care less because I'm blessed and that's all that matters. The spiritual Lazarus is at our gate and many of us just don't give a rip. We're commanded to love our neighbor. And the most loving thing we can do is share the truth of God's word and ask the Holy Spirit to break through the hardened hearts, then help them grow. It's about sinners going to hell and we're commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So how do we do that? How do we do that? You ready for the answer? any way we can. There's only one point in this message today and that's it. Any way we can. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself, be sure of that. Bada bing, bada boom. I think of the movie Braveheart. Now I gotta give a disclaimer before I talk about this movie. Because it is rated R and in it's incredible violence and gore in this movie. I cannot advocate for the film, even though many of you have already seen it. But it is an example of what we are facing today. In Braveheart on the field, the second battle after the great victory of the first battle, William Wallace waves the flag and that's the noble's cue to attack. And they turn and they ride off in the other direction. Complete betrayal. Betrayal. Why did they do it? They all did it for more titles and for lands from Longshanks. William Wallace in the movie went and killed every one of those who betrayed him on the field of battle. It's an incredible story. Sidebar, we are told plainly in Scripture, you can't even argue with it, that we are not to seek revenge. Revenge is not the way. It's never the way. Any revenge is of the Lord. If we truly left everything behind to follow our king, then we leave that up to him. And my calling has always been to reach the deceived and lost in the visible church. And I've had my share of William Wallace moments. So we share the truth of the cross. It's what we do. We share the truth of the cross. Some of these false teachers out there, let's come and reason together. Let's set the cross of Christ aside for a moment. And everything in my being wants to just punch him right in the throat. And then God says, no, revenge is mine. You stay in your lane, short little white boy from the neighborhood. And my lane is to share the truth of the cross and then help people grow, that is what we do. Will I share with an atheist? Sure, of course. But allow me to illustrate using my journey for a second. After 2003, we did radio shows that Christian listened to. Syndicated, across the country, big markets, we did that. Conference speaker, yeah, at Christian conferences. Didn't you do stand-up comedy in the clubs? Yeah, but that was years ago. In 2007, Shonda Pierce relaunched my comedy career and it's been exclusively in churches and Christian events since. Filmmaking, all Christian in nature. You tracking with me? My calling since 2003 has always been to reach the lost in the church and also strengthen the authentic believer to go out and serve the king in true obedience. Any way we can hey, Chris, didn't you go to seminary in the mid-90s? So 2003, yeah, that's when I needed to readjust and yield to my calling. It's not the first yielding I've done. It won't be the last. More on that some other day. How do you recognize the lost in the church? How do you recognize them? Listen now, you don't. You don't, not until they themselves get saved and share their own testimonies. In fact, we're not supposed to attempt to separate the good fish from the bad fish in the net. We're supposed to have this commitment to just save as as, as many saved as we possibly can. In 1994, a movie came out called Schindler's List. And in Schindler's List, there's a scene in there that has impacted my approach to ministry and so Emily framed this for me this is an actual piece of film from the original strip of Schindler's List and it hangs in my office or it sits in my office it has has been since around 2003 Hmm. well a handful of years back I had a Christian, who was a former drug addict, and he relapsed. He came to my office for counseling, and he saw that what I just showed you, and he said, "And uh, re- rededicate his life to Christ." I mean, it was it was a really cool thing. And he said, "I have an album of the soundtrack of Schindler's List. Do you want it for display with that thing?" And I said, "Yeah." So he brought it to me. It's this. It's this right here. I don't even have a turntable. <laughs> but this sits in my office as a constant reminder of what Oscar Schindler didn't pick and choose. See, part of the great story was a man convicted to his core to save as many Jews as he could in any way that he could. In the movie at the end, he looks at his wedding ring and and, and Liam Neeson playing Oscar Schindler mumbles, that could have been one more. That could have been two more. That's the conviction that Christians need to have in 2024 going forward. Any way we can. That doesn't mean that we go out in the street with a bullhorn. That doesn't mean, you know, look, if we're gonna try to feed people here at the church, if we're gonna try to do juanas, if we're gonna try to do Sunday morning, if we're gonna sing for Jesus, invite people to church, share the good news, it, any way you can. So let's read the scripture regarding the wheat and the weeds, the wheat and the tares. The CSB calls it the wheat and weeds, and that's what I'm using today. It's in Matthew 13, 24 through 30, and then 36 through 43. Let's do the first half. Verse 24. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? Verse 28, an enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up? The servants asked him. No he said, when you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, tie them in bundles and burn them, but collect the wheat into my barn. Now just a little bit later in scripture, another paragraph down, Jesus interprets that parable. It's hard to miss the point when Jesus is interpreting his own story, yeah? Verse 36, 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parables of the weeds in the field. He replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil." The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned into the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom, Let anyone who has ears listen. Do you know what that means? That means we are not here to debate. We are moving forward. We are here to simply proclaim. That's what we do. You know what else it means? It means that I am not here to look over your theology and point out your flaws. My job is to point you to the cross continually. My job is to show you the authentic repeatedly. Do you know how the FBI teaches agents to recognize counterfeit bills? Do you know they never ever show them counterfeits? They simply study the original authentic over and over and over and over again. That way the counterfeit just pops off the page to them when they see it, make sense? See, my job is not to look into your spiritual theological wallet or purse and point out the counterfeits you're carrying. No, my job is to so point to the real thing, you will spot it yourself and remove it. And some folks are carrying counterfeits alongside their authentic. You have weeds and you're lowering your view of Scripture next to the wheat of your prayer and praise. Some of you have weeds of thinking that you need to add to your salvation, that what Jesus did wasn't complete enough for you. Or weeds of some sign to prove you have the spirit right next to the authentic finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross as your substitute that is accessed by simple faith. Follow? It's not my job to pluck it out. That's your job. That's what's in the church. But it's even worse out there in the world we are trying to reach. So is there something else, Chris? Is there something else we need to know in reading out our hope as far as sharing the gospel? Yes, there is. Lots. But I don't have 10 hours today, so let's just go to the next scripture. Second Corinthians 4, 1 through 6 tells it pretty plainly. You have eyes to see and ears to hear. This should pop off the page to you. Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Just focus on verse one in your devotions this week. Because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of The truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, little g, of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light, let light shine out of the darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. This is one of the many scriptures that teach us that our efforts are not what is going to make the difference. Our strategies are not going to make the difference in and of themselves. It is our obedience to the word of God that will lift the veil. And our obedience to the spirit of the living God that will lift the veil, simply putting forth effort and common sense strategies in Christ, in that obedience, then the veil will be lifted on those chosen and called by God. Do you see the difference? See, it's a battle between ideologies. It's dark versus light, veiled with those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. It's between ideologies. There are many people who are much more comfortable with lies than the truth. This is one of the major reasons why truth is shunned, hated, and silenced, even in the church a very scholarly journalist and broadcaster, a British gal named Melanie Phillips, said this. Now, I have no clue about her faith, but hear it out. There's brilliance here in describing our current world. She said, all truth has become a right-wing concept. You can't say a certain thing, something that is truth, because if you say it, it will make you right-wing, and if you are right-wing, you are in the league with the forces of evil. It is Manichaean, she says. What is that? Manichaean is from the third century AD. It's a religion that broke everything down into good, and good versus evil, no matter what it was. So any division of ideologies of one kind or another versus those who don't subscribe to those ideologies. Sound familiar? It becomes good versus evil. Stay with me. And so it is today with any ideologies, whatever they are, allow for no dissent, zero wiggle room. And so they represent in the minds of people who promote them, they represent goodness, progress, reason, education, and everyone who opposes them, anyone who opposes them is against all good things in their minds did you miss that i hope you didn't see these folks look on any of their various ideologies they look on people that have any of these various ideologies that differ from theirs are people who are not just wrong they are people not to be argued with they are people to be removed and silenced otherwise you are allowing ideologies that are against all good things. You getting this? See, in their mind, it is a division between good and evil. And the Bible says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. But here we are. So if you stand up against an ideology like anti-racism or critical theory, which basically says all white people are bad, or if you say a woman is defined by her biology, hence you're being against transgenderism, as you should know by now, there is no discussion, no sharing of viewpoints, no, no, no. No, you are canceled. You are removed. You must be silenced. This dissent cannot be permitted. So we are in a place where a thinker from a previous age called this cultural totalitarianism. No alternative is to be permitted, period. First of all, that is an assault on individual freedom. That's a given, correct? What Ms. Phillips goes on to say correctly, I might add, is that it is a complete repudiation of reason itself. Because if you proclaim that there is nothing you can say in dissent from my ideology, and you say you're bringing evidence to oppose me, well, that cannot be the case. So if you're of this mindset and now you're denying evidence, denying reality, denying thinking, denying engagement, then you are denying reason itself. Do you guys see the sad irony? We live in an age of supposed reason that we're now so rational that we've dispensed with religion. I mean, only idiots have any kind of religious sense because it's not based on reason, right? That's how they think. It's sad but true. Now they are so rational, they got rid of religion. Yet we are repudiating rationality completely. Do you see the madness? It doesn't add up, right? Miss Phillips calls this, and I'm quoting her now, a new age of unreason. We live in a new age of unreason. That is where we're at right now. An age of unreason has been unleashed. The irony, because the whole deal rode in on the surfboard of being rational. So now, listen, in this age of unreason, the only thing, the only thing that stands as a voice of reason is the truth. Think about it. The word of God in its completeness, in its authority, in its sufficiency, is the source of truth, source of rationality, and of course will be hated by this world, this lost world spinning in darkness, following after the lies of Satan. Romans 128 says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind. Some translations say a corrupt mind, Some say a reprobate mind, some say a depraved mind, it's the same word. When you see all this madness activity where total wicked behavior has now become normal, when they wanna make laws to protect transgender identity, they even deny that it was even called mental illness just a decade ago, and you know in your core that it is absolute, utter insanity, know we have reached the depraved reprobate mind stage. People can't think rationally nor reasonably. Do you know what that means? It means there's no way back to sanity. There's no way back. When God gives you over, you're done. Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then God hardened Pharaoh's heart and his cork was sunk. So what should the righteous do? Well, in Jude, verse 23, it says, save others by snatching them from the fire. That is where your hope will be found, in sharing the gospel and in seeing it through the vertical lens of forgiveness and love. That's the hope you hang on to every day, salt and light givers. Why? Because when Jesus called you, while you were still in your sins... He saved you and he set you apart. Now you leave behind the old ways. You repent and you turn from it. And now you have this new life in Christ. John 3.19 says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. John MacArthur said this, if you have a culture of lying people, people trapped in deception, and those that want to accommodate those deceptions, basically they are lovers of lies. Because if divine truth comes to them, it appears to be, listen now, narrow, arrogant, intolerant, unloving, and offering nothing but a different sort of bondage. That's what they see. Plato is supposed to have coined the phrase, no one is more hated than the one who speaks the truth. So in a post-truth world, dare I say, a post-truth visible church, no one is more hated than those who speak the truth. Do you understand that Jesus came to testify to the truth? Do you understand that when you make a Christian movie, if you put too much Jesus in it, they don't want to distribute it? Do you understand that if you put the cross at the forefront of some of your Christian songs, the record companies don't want to publish it? I call that Jesus is my boyfriend Caleb songs. Nothing wrong with it, but understand you're eating pablum. So in a post-truth world, Jesus said he came to testify to the truth, and then he raises up some of his children and gives them spines of steel and says, go and do likewise. So that remains our mandate. It has to. It doesn't matter what the evil, loving, lying culture is demanding of us. John 14 tells us something really outstanding in pursuit of hope. Because hope next to our joy from last week is what we need to hold on to. And I'm confident that many of you have that hope and joy and you can withstand a message like this and understand at the end of the day it's the hope and the joy of what we're getting to. You're like, Chris, you've just been on a bummer train for 30 minutes. I understand. I understand. But I want you to see what authentic salt and light look like, John 1 through four. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus says. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That's all I want so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Read Revelation chapter one or Revelation 19, look at the descriptions of our glorified Savior, and when you get in his presence, you don't want to be anywhere else. That's why I say, because a friend of mine who can handle the sarcasm and the mocking said, I can't wait to race Dale Earnhardt when I get to heaven. You ain't gonna race Dale Earnhardt. You're gonna be so enamored with the glory of the risen savior who justified you and forgave you of your sin. Our hope is now and will forever be in knowing the Lord. You understand what Jesus called you to. He called you to leave it all behind. We're all sinners. When we point out the sin of the rainbow alphabet mafia crowd, we're setting ourselves over here like we're, like we're better than them? No. This sin, this sin, this sin, this sin, this sin, this sin, all of these sins, you got them, I got them. You will never be able to stand in front of a holy God and hell is what each of us deserves. And God looks down from heaven and says, I will make a way. He came to earth and lived a perfect life that none of us could live, to be the perfect sacrificial lamb. In Revelation, the angels are going all over. Who can possibly open the scrolls? Here's one, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. He can open the scrolls. He's glorified forever. And he says, if you want to be my follower, you leave it all behind and you follow me. And we want to negotiate. And you wonder why we're living spiritual Defeated lives. See, Jesus Christ was spiked to a tree for my sin. And because I'm a sinner, I have no hope. But when he was spiked to that cross, he became my substitute. God looks at that as if that was me being spiked to the cross. That was me paying for my penalties for my own sin, which I couldn't do because my blood isn't righteous, it's sinful. So Jesus Christ took on my sin on himself as my substitute. And he offers me free life forever. And then he rose from the dead to give me victory over death, hell, and the grave. And I've said this to you before, don't ever forget this, that those of us who've left it all behind, who just want to follow Jesus, he will present me, Chris Danielson, one of the most scumbags that you've ever met in your life. Anybody who knew me before 1985... Could never imagine I could be standing here. He's gonna present me to a holy God as if I'm perfect. And he'll do the same for you. And then once he does, your joy and your hope bubbles up in that one thing I talked about and that is sharing his love and his forgiveness and his opportunity for everybody and to everybody. And how do you do that? Any way you can. Now, some people get fired up and they get on an airplane, they sit down next to a stranger and say, do you know when you're gonna go when you die? And they stumble and they bumble, and they bump their head. Any way you can is legitimate. But understand Jesus will guide you. And part of it is just living with that joy and that hope that you're redeemed and you want others to be redeemed as well. There was a convict that was being preached to in the 1800s in London. And he said, you really believe this? you really believe what you're talking about with this heaven and hell and Jesus and all that? And the person doing the talk and said, well, yes, I do. And the convict said, if you really believed this, you would crawl all across London on broken glass to tell your worst enemy. Follow? Americans, we've gotten into this comfortable, just whatever, I'm saved, so who cares? Any way we can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for the truth of the scriptures. And Lord, as we walk out our faith, help us see our counterfeits and help us pluck them out by your power, by your glory, by your will in our life. Let us have open hands, open hearts, just being real with each other never forgetting that we were once sinners, but always claiming the hope and joy that we are now saints. Not because of anything righteous we've done, but because you saved us while we were yet sinners. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Salvaged by God is the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Danielson out of Fresh Encounter Church in Harlan, Iowa. For more of Chris's teaching and a couple podcasts you might like, go to freshroadmedia.com.